Is that about Grinder? <laughs> oh, now he's shy. <laughs> I have to check it out. Yeah. Yeah. Tell us what you think. Oh, okay. I I, I was a fan of the the Bang Bus stuff. I know yeah. it's not real. Like if it was real, it'd be all like, scripted. Yeah, if it was real, it'd be like kind of a crime. But yeah, I mean they're giving someone a ride. Yeah, and money, yeah. and they're banging. Yeah. It's all good. It's all win. Mm. It's not like they threw a bag over said person's head and tossed them in a van, <laughs> right? Right. Yeah, it'd nope. probably be a lot more illegal that way. Right. Right. I mean, have you signed the consent forms beforehand? I'm pretty sure you're good. I would imagine there's an after as well, right? <laughs> like, are you sure? There is a thing called uh, consensual non-consent. Well, we're not going to talk about that, right? <laughs> so I think maybe there might be a bag involved for shit like that. I don't yeah, know. <laughs> and kick me in the ribs too. I need it to feel just a little real. It's like wow. Ooh, yeah. So we are the Aboriginal Outlaws. I'm Sugar Bear. Johnny B. I'm Joshua. <clears throat> All right. Yeah. And uh, we have the uh, wonderfully uh, sophisticated, yes, sir, the uh, prestigious uh, 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 scholar here, if you will, uh, Mr. Philip White Cree. How you doing, sir? Good. Yeah. And you will catch his ass around Clarkson University. Now, what exactly do you do uh, over there, Philip? My official title is Coordinator of uh, Indigenous Community Support and Outreach within the Diversity, Equity, Inclusion Office. And I'm also an instructor of history under the Department of Humanities and Social Sciences for the last three years. So January 2020 was when I started teaching part-time. And Mm. that was a great semester to start teaching. Yeah, yeah. Small classes just threw you hey, right it in. Started out fine. Twelve students. We met once a uh, once a week to go over Indigenous history, and then um, little news articles in February <laughs> and March, and then the discussion about whether or not uh, March break was going to get two weeks longer. Back in the old two weeks period, yeah, was... and then we were offline for three weeks, and then we had to do everything remotely. Right. They for sure got on top of that remote thing pretty quick, though, right? Well, Clarkson is tech school, so like we yeah. were all technology, uh, Zoom accounts, and everything was already set up before it. So basically, it was like, can you teach via Zoom? And I was like, I think so. It's just <laughs> turning this on, right? And yeah. boom, had my class on, and I did well. My other colleagues had struggles because obviously some of them are not used to teaching mm. that way and my class did all right and they called me back and said hey you did something right student evaluation said you were a great teacher that's awesome ah nice sorry yeah. my buttons are fucking up <laughs> always fucking something up. enough about your buttons let's push <laughs> some of philip's buttons yeah here. that's what i'm trying to do and yeah. it wasn't switching over so how much of the uh, student population would you say is uh indigenous um clarkson is not the highest for indigenous population right but it does right. have a long history of indigenous students kind of being involved with certain things so like Coincidentally, Clarkson is actually the very first school in the entire world that was part of ACES, the American Indian Society of Science and Engineer. And so 
um, they actually had permission back in 1979 and 1980 was officially officially a chapter with two other universities and so and that was because of its proximity to our community so they had you know one or two students and regular wanting to have that support so now I'm the advisor of ACs and we're actually back on our feet now we actually have uh, students involved and so like that will be a way to help promote more students coming in I'm happy to report we do have a, quite a few uh, indigenous identifying students coming into Clarkson for the fall and um, look forward to being the one to help assist that so I think that's kind of like one aspect of higher education is like the indigenous populations will always be smaller yeah. Yeah. unless you're going to like Aris uh, Arizona State University or University of New Mexico where you're going to have much more higher tribal college enrollment uh, populations um, but I think that's like just within higher education the question is always you know it's coming from a western mindset <clears throat> yes so it's not geared for the everyday person up until after world war ii so after world war ii with the gi bill starts breaking down those barriers of saying hey we're going to make college higher education accessible for everyone if you do certain things and so then that made the question of hey not just a certain population but everyone should be having the option of higher education so that's one avenue um but then you have other schools like dartmouth which was actually a yeah. college school designed for quote-unquote indians mm -hmm. and they started bringing people in there and so that comes all the way back to like missionary ideas of like religion is going to help inspire the next people and this is how it's going to help the quote-unquote indigenous populations or indian populations of north america so they were actively trying to recruit and ivy league schools kind of had that in their mindset for different things but of course it's always hard for you know success for students to reach the just the potential of applications so i think that's just something for higher education at, at, for everything is just that question of do you have everything from k through 12 to support you to be able to be eligible mm. then do you have the resources to go through with it and then do you have the support at the university in your family in your community to finish it and then to potentially even go further so the numbers that have made it through undergrad grad school and then even to phds is small mm -hmm. but per capita i would say there's you know it's not something to uh just dismiss easily like there there are people who want to be definitely involved and now i'm in the process because i am both staff and faculty yeah but i'm also a student because i'm finishing my degree in masters of public administration at queen's university and so doing that remotely while still teaching while still being on, fa on staff so like, <laughs> i get to see how higher education works in three different ways right like scholar multiple <laughs> levels yeah <laughs> multi-level scholar so yeah definitely a lot of a lot of areas where you can see things have that old mindset some things are trying to be moving forward and then how it's like you know a lot of it is like people are just don't know and they don't know how to support students mm -hmm. they don't know how to have meaningful dialogues with communities but i think that all goes to the power of course of like where my position is i'm able to do that so I'm you're like facilitating facilitate and connections and actually say like hey I know how to navigate Aquasasana <laughs> at the political level and all three councils and get them involved in inviting them all to lunch at the same time without telling the others that they are going to be there. That is a fun time. <laughs> how much work does it take to get all of that on, to get people here on board? Like, much less to like the white people, but to get our people on board. Uh, 
are people surprisingly as soon as you say hey there's a free lunch people show up mm-hmm. there you go people will show up for two things free food or free violence and if you have both awesome but at least we were able to offer free food violence was an option nice i would have mm-hmm. been i actually thought you were an alum from uh, clarkson no i'm alum of syracuse university mm. still a university that's amazing so I have my degree in architecture yeah. from there. Uh, needless to say, as soon as I graduated, I ran away from the field of <laughs> architecture. I did not go through the internship programs and get my licensing. Uh, he learned to be an architect to bridge gaps. Yes. <laughs> I see what you did there. Uh, to design a better future, one might say. Yeah. <laughs> so are there, do you apply turn, um, stuff from architecture? Uh, I wasn't done talking. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> Oh, I forgot Whoa. what it was like to be interrupted. I missed it. Whoa, Whoa, fuck off. It's been a while. It's been a minute. <laughs> Go ahead, sir. Oh, yeah? You sure? Proceed. <laughs> no, but for as long as I've known you, obviously education always meant a lot to you. And uh, I remember in school, and uh, I remember seeing you in the paper a few times, winning some awards and shit. And that was awesome. So what... what what do you want our community to know about um, like trying to find uh, an easier way to get into university? Because that's obviously like top tier, like fucking education, right? So yeah. So I think one thing people need to remember is we're already well educated. Yeah, we're not educated in like the Western formal sense of okay, you have this certification. That no, we have community. We have. We have parents, we have aunts, uncles, dudas who all teach us different things. And so that's one thing that I always try to remind students when they're coming in. is like, you're already an expert. Right. They're not used to you being an expert in the room. And that's why oftentimes you get the situation where, and I was in one of those before where I'm in the classroom full of non-Indigenous people. And the non-Indigenous instructor says, oh, we're talking about this. And then turns to me, can you describe this? I'm like, it's not my job. I'm not being paid. (laughs) But here's where I at least can prove that you are not as educated as you think you are. And I'll just give a small piece of it. And I think for a lot of other uh, people that are going through school, especially indigenous, is it sometimes puts you on the defense of like, oh, well, now, now i got to defend my identity, especially at a higher education, because mm. you have an expert saying, well, you tell me about this about your culture. And I was in a position, not at school, but where I was rooming one time with um, – Two doctors, one medical, one non, and uh, the the PhD started ask was started saying, "Well, this this is what happened in your past," and I was like, <laughs> "Not mine specifically. My community, we avoided this and did that." So like, yeah. I was able to counter, but I could see that if a person did not already have that in, in insight, you're gonna feel like, "Oh, well, they know something about me I don't know," and I think that's one thing that we need to understand is. That, we all have a piece of education. We all have some form of, we're an expert of something. Mm-hmm. And that is just by being here and experiencing life from being born to all the way where a person mm-hmm. is at any one time. And I think that's where we need to take stock of that and say like, hey, we, we have an ability to think that most other people don't have. And that is thinking in a minority mindset, which means that there's something else out there that you can differentiate <clears throat> and then think about, okay, Where's the, where's the primary dominant mindset that does not see me because they just assume that they know it all? And I think that's where, like, you know, we joke around. 
and we ha we know a little bit of language and we some might not have the full language but you have knowledge of how to speak a second language mm -hmm. you have an idea thinking beyond that even when your dad is explaining to you you know this is the words this is how you use it and even when you're joking around with your cousins you're learning something that those on the outside do not know hmm. and that's that's where i think most of our own community members need to be more aware of you already have that college mm. or university is only going to give you a little bit more knowledge of how they do things not necessarily how we do things and you need to understand that and once you understand that you'll realize that the system wasn't made for you to learn the system was made for the other side the dominant society to learn in which case you are in the perfect position of saying i know my shit to a certain degree they don't know that now i can learn about their shit and so all of a sudden hmm. they're in a deficit you are not i like that yeah yeah, yeah it's going in with a empowered mindset mm -hmm. and like uh you're going you're just going to figure that out rather than like oh and i this is going to complete me or rather no this is a, just another toolbox yeah just think of it as another set of tools a set of tools that the outside knows and what you can look at and this is something that we've done since the very beginning of we look at something <clears> on the outside we learn it we adapt it and mm -hmm. i think that's something that like dr gregory youngin who's from uh i think ojibwe um, unfortunately he passed he was a scholar of like indigenous identity writing literature and one of the things he talked about was indigenous style in mm -hmm. which was not necessarily just fashion but actually geared towards how do you talk about indigenous people indigenous people talking about indigenous people and even a little bit of guide of people on the outside this is how you should be aware of things and one thing is terminology mm -hmm. the other thing is that indigenous people are involved with things that is so far the outside of my, the dominant mindset that we adapt we change we shift we go with the times we roll the punches we go through this entire process to survive mm -hmm. to this point we've gone through it they haven't mm -hmm. and so that's why the dominant societies usually freak out <laughs> when things are pressured on them we're like oh okay well we've already gone through mad max we're good <laughs> right <laughs> we, were, we had an apocalypse already yeah and some some, uh, some indigenous scholars say we're still in that dystopian mindset because yeah. you know so much of us our identity and culture has been attacked and exploited and used and what's funny now is like the indigenous scholars who are mm -hmm. now at the table and actually the ones who are certifying other indigenous scholars are like yeah we've, we've done our stuff they haven't <laughs> they're still learning and so i think that's why within our dominant uh within the dominant culture indigenous identity can actually grow as long as we understand that we come from a position they don't have we have a position that many other groups don't have mm -hmm. but it's funny if you get two different indigenous populations together one from this side of the world and one from the other side we both have the mind same mindset oh yeah yeah well even like um friends in like from baltimore like the black community like mm -hmm. it's not that different yeah like uh when we uh watch any uh film or uh show uh, from people from new zealand like that taika waititi the mm -hmm. the reason why him and that started in harjo uh can uh, work so well together it's because you know yeah we're the same fucking people but they get to be in a nice uh you know fucking exotic place yeah let's That's trade awesome. 
<laughs> I know, right? I know, right? I love it. I want to go there, but it's such a long flight. I just don't want to leave. You, you just do a layover in Hawaii, and you'll be good. Mm-hmm. Halfway there. Oh, that's such a good idea. <laughs> I laid someone over from Hawaii once. <laughs> Zing. Zing. <laughs> so what puts you on this education That track? fucking uh, Afro Man song lied. She did not go I. No Afro Man fans? I am an Afro Man fan. We'll not talk really. about him in a little while because he did something awesome recently. What did he do? <laughs> we'll talk about it after. Why? <laughs> Just because we're talking about education right now. Afro Man is education. <laughs> <laughs> do you listen to Afro Man? Do you know who Afro Man is? Yeah. I know of him. Okay. Yeah. We'll talk the, about it after. The one hit wonder. I mean, he's got a couple ones. <laughs> he's got a couple. <laughs> a couple hits. Tough fucking one hit wonder. Yeah. Come mm-hmm. on, guys. Get it together. Yeah, so we'll put you on this education track anyways. <laughs> Sorry, Philip. We are a comedy <laughs> podcast. Occasionally, we got to be stupid. <laughs> so who put me on my education yeah. track? Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. How do we do Do you have that? any expertise in special education? Because <laughs> we need it. It's like, Will, stop, looking the, yeah. stop licking the wood. Should this room be padded? <laughs> Yeah. Mm. Glue is for certain things, not all things. Gotcha. gotcha. <laughs> it smells amazing, though. <laughs> That's up north where we got good drugs here. Oh. And that was when you were like the oh. grade school drugs right there, when yeah. you couldn't afford or couldn't do the fucking the adult drugs we yeah. have now. Just ga- a can of gas. Just, yeah, gasoline. And you know, those scented markers were the gateway drug. Oh, mm-hmm. so good. Yep. I went yep. to Messina High School, dude. There were fucking kids just crushing oxys in class. <laughs> yeah. They don't know the struggle. <laughs> <laughs> this younger generation. And the teachers be like, can I have one? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's who you bought it from. <laughs> Oh, fucked up, huh? <laughs> yeah, so what put you on this education track? Yeah. I think it was just my family. Like yeah. my my Dida actually made it to college without actually finishing high school. Back oh, wow. in the good old days where a letter of recommendation was good enough mm-hmm. to get you in the door. Nice. So she did education, teachers college, mm-hmm. and then my mother was nursing college. Mm-hmm. And so like for me it wasn't if it's like, okay, which one are you going to? Because now you need to decide is you're about to start high school and I'm just like I guess architecture or archaeology. I don't, I don't know. I guess architecture. Just like the way the arc sounds. <laughs> yeah, just just going to start with an A one way or another. Arc welding. I don't know. Oh, one man. of them. So they just raised you like an Asian. You were 12 and were like, what are you doing for yeah. a career? Oh! Yeah. Hey, I was one of the kids that they really? were like, hey, this is a computer. And I'm like, okay, cool. This I can do things on here. And that's basically computers and books. Mm-hmm. And wanting to get the hell out of high school as soon as possible. So, therefore, I was like, I'm going to do whatever I need to to get out that door with no questions asked. Mm, yeah. And so, basically, yeah, um, geared my whole self towards university. Uh, went through CCVS, so graduated from Cornwall. I did not do the victory lap, which other people were like, oh, are you going to do the victory lap? I'm not, no, I'm, I'm done. Four years is more than enough. I do not want to be here. What's the victory lap? I don't know what it is either. Uh, Ontario, uh, you can do grade 13, which is, you know, you just... For the tards? No, I'm kidding. No, <laughs> like, like, no you do that to just basically you can do your AP credits. You can basically yeah. start doing college credits and kind of like kind of uh, easier transition to, uh, to university or college. So it just boosts your grades when you're taking just, you know, mm. electives in mm. your senior year. And all of a sudden you're 
Mm-hmm. Grade point average goes up, and so therefore, you know, you look better on the application. So mm. grade 13, some people do. I was like, mm. no. Mm. 12, good enough for me. I'm out. <laughs> Went straight for mm-hmm. right? So I applied. Computer glitch. Said I was not going to graduate on time. So two oh, wow. universities were like, okay, well, see ya. You're, oh, you're wow. not accepted. Third one's like, hey, your application looks good. Why is it saying you're not graduating? Huh. I will talk to my guidance counselor and yelled at him. And he basically said, yeah, it was a full-blown, out-of-the-blue computer glitch. Uh, they were willing to accept me. So I did my first year at Carleton University, got in there, and they did not get me into the architecture program. They put me into like a hold, holding pattern. And me and a bunch of other students were in there, and so we were all trying to get into the architecture program. Tried a second time, did not get in. So I was like, Oh, shit, now what do I do? <laughs> so I did a Hail Mary, threw my application in at Syracuse in <clears throat> May when the wow. application deadline's <clears throat> February 1st. <clears throat> nice. And basically just sweat bullets through the whole summer right. until I got a phone call two weeks before classes started saying, you're accepted. How, how hard nice. is that? Like, I, I've noticed some people, they go across, like, Canadian side, American side. Like, what's the difference, really? Um... I think for acquisition funding. Okay. So on the Canadian mm-hmm. side, funding is there and it will cover you when you go there. US side is you got to be lucky and that's why I picked Syracuse because they were offering the Haudenosaunee scholarship. Mm-hmm. They started the year I graduated. They started in 2006. Mm-hmm. So I applied for 2007 and I was accepted to architecture school, which meant the scholarship would kick into play, everything would be covered, so I'm just like cool. Go out the door, go down to Syracuse, and started year one of five. So (laughs) in the grand scheme of things, six years of university to get my first piece of paper with my name on it that says I know something. (laughs) Mm. So five-year program, five years of architecture school, and as we sometimes joke, um, architecture, because it is, of the schools, they usually say architecture is like one of the hardest. It's right up there with pre-med and pre-law and architecture school because in theory if you get your bachelor's professional bachelor's in architecture after five years you are now formally educated to start working in an office and be work up your hours and eventually get certified to become an architect so in Hmm. theory you don't need to go any further in education Mm -hmm. if you do it means you want to teach okay and so I didn't see myself teaching, Mm -hmm. so I wasn't planning that. So I was pretty much like five years Mm -hmm. in and out, and I'm done. And so that was my journey through Syracuse and had a lot of ups and downs. Yeah. But I think one aspect of Syracuse is because it's central and right there with Onondaga. That was the other draw. I was like, hey, Onondaga, I'm right there. Like, you know, if if I get homesick, there's, you know. Community. Community there. And I actually did. I showed up at the Onondaga Nation office a few times, and they were just like, (laughs) Who is this kid? <laughs> it's another bog that wants to move here. Mm. Not necessarily. I just wanted to, I was just saying I was in the neighborhood. I'm applying for housing. Huh? I think the best part was uh, there was a bus that was going <clears throat> that fall from Syracuse to Onondaga for the, uh, from Syracuse to Albany for the Onondaga land claims. Okay. So it was a hearing. And I show up to go on the bus. And they're all looking at me. I'm looking at them, trying to smile and wave. <laughs> and they ask, first thing they ask, 
who are you? <laughs> and I say, I'm from Akwazasne. They're like, where's the other Mohawks? When I was skipping a beat, I said, they only needed to send one. <laughs> they all cracked the up laughing and they were like, all right, you're in. <laughs> oh, so you're an activist as well. I, sh- I just show up. <laughs> if that's activism, cool. It is. It yeah, counts. Especially for the court because when we actually went to Albany, they actually said they moved to the bigger courtroom because they didn't expect that many people showing up. So I was just like, hey, I'm taking up space. So cool. This is activism at its best. And so, yeah, I listened to the Onondaga land claim hearing, the oral arguments, and the judge didn't know how to proceed because the Onondagas were saying they wanted acknowledgement but not title of the land hmm. and it's it scared them because in u.s court it's always based on the idea of you know it's property it, it right. belongs to somebody but they weren't asking for that as property they were asking for acknowledgement and be part of a conversation and a judge had no idea how to deal with it hmm. and neither did the uh, the state so it was a lot of things and it was just oral argument so we just heard them submit it and then later on we went to uh and just had like a little debrief and that is when I was introduced to the Anadaga saying sugar, sugar for salt. Oh, yes. In the language. <laughs> I like that one. And I was just completely scratching my head when they're saying, pass the ojikeda. And I'm looking at the salt and pepper, not knowing what they were talking about. Ah. But then yeah, I slowly moved over. I, I got it. But it wasn't a quick reaction. So they yeah. were like, what, what's wrong? You don't speak. I was like, you're saying it. I don't see sugar. So, yeah, so we had conversations like that. So I think that's like part of it is like being there, being with other Haudenosaunee students at Syracuse, kind of like it was a community. And I think one of the things that really helped there was shout out to Regina Jones. Uh, she was kind of the indigenous coordinator. She eventually uh, got a position of like assistant director of diversity uh, within the office. It, it evolved for her and like gave her recognition for what she was doing. And she just uh, recently retired, which is bittersweet because it's like, you know, it's good that she retired. Yeah. But at the same time, she was the Duda to everybody that went there. And she made a point to basically get to know everybody, whatever you needed to do. And like, re- she really invested in any Haudenosaunee students. And I think just that idea of like, what higher education, what can education do? And I think it's having people who in those positions that can just be that ear to be that voice of reason, to just have the assistance to students because when they're in a whole different area and a whole different uh, environment, they're surrounded by a bunch of people who don't really know their identity to an Indigenous student. Um, having somebody there local that you can say like, hey, I need an elder. Yeah, yeah. And she was that. And I think that was really what really helps in higher education. And so like that's part of like, okay, I'm playing it forward because in my role, I'm trying to be that link and try to say like, hey, you're welcome to Clarkson. Welcome to higher education. The system may not be ready for you, but at least I'm willing to be here with you. And I think that helps a lot of students feel a little bit more at ease and just help that transition because it is hard. Like uh, I know when I went through Syracuse, I had to seek mental health services there so shout out to mental health services and all those providers because they have to deal with a lot. And that was pre-COVID. So yeah. I can't, today, talking with my colleagues who are in the mental health field in higher education, they're like, they are swamped. All students, at least now, are willing to talk and yeah. willing to have somebody there. And it's hard because 
if you are a minority individual, you don't feel comfortable. You don't take off all your armor until you're with another minority group. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Most definitely. Yeah, yeah. And so I think that's where a lot of that, like just having those resources, having those positions and saying like, hey, I'm here to do the best I can. I will help you the best I way I know how. So that mentor position is so like crucial. I don't know. a lot of people, they go off to college and a month or two and they're home because, because, uh, reasons <laughs> yeah and part of it is that that loneliness and and i will say that if you notice the student coming home every weekend that's a bad warning sign that mm-hmm. something is not right where they don't want to be at school mm-hmm. and i think that's something that i i know from at syracuse and even at carlton individuals that were from home who were just happened to be home every weekend ended up to just kind of stop going is mm-hmm. because they they felt like you know they they had the resources at home, but not at school. And I think that's like just one indicator to say, hey, this is, you know, the trajectory is not in a good path. How can community support them? But how can the higher education support them and make sure that it's a smoother transition? Mm-hmm. Uh, so you ended up not wanting to teach and now you're a teacher? Yeah, basically, I remember in in kindergarten, I was faking sick to stay home because I did not like school. So go figure, I am now teaching in higher education. Mm. Regina Jones, that sounds like a superhero's alter ego. That's a cool name. I like that. Was she Onondaga? She is Oneida, Turtle Clan, but living in Onondaga. So were you, right? On Turtle Clan as well. There you go. So, yeah, exactly. I was just like, hey... Great auntie. <laughs> you are now our clan mother. Basically. <laughs> Who are these uh, two colleges that rejected you because of the computer glitch? University of Waterloo and uh, Ryerson University, which is now known as Metropolitan University. Yeah, wasn't there something with that guy, Ryerson, that dude? So Ryerson was one of the individuals with John A. McDonald who helped create Canada's formation of residential schools mm. and making it government mandatory so ouch yeah Mm -hmm. wait so these were both canadian schools yes yeah well i hope those bitches get slapped with a fucking cheese curd for rejecting (laughs) you motherfuckers well Mm. waterloo backed up blackberry and well we know how blackberry has went Mm -hmm. now (laughs) and ryerson had to change his name to metropolitan so Yeah. yeah Yeah. Probably a good Karma thing. got back. Probably yeah. a good thing you weren't there. Yeah, yeah. Adolf Hitler uh, <laughs> University just doesn't sound good anymore, does it? A H U. But anybody who got into that art school for him, yeah, I would love to go to Adolf Hitler University. Like you know what, the food's nice. I do. I do love the fucking schnitzel giggles. I bet their fucking sweater, their letter jackets are fucking amazing. Yeah, the uniforms are on point. <laughs> fucking Hugo Boss. Like, you know how the fucking the Indians feel about red and black, so here I am. <laughs> We're really into eugenics, though, so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it just gave racism a bad name all around. Yeah. Because yeah. that was the funny part is, like, with the history of higher education, <laughs> everybody was really yeah. rooting for eugenics. Yeah. Until the yeah. Nazi party ruined it for everyone. Uh, right. Some of them still, I think some of them are still on board. They just don't talk about it that call. way. It, it even got to the point where the Navajo Nation said, you know, the swastika, the, they do it in the reverse mm-hmm. direction. They actually passed their own resolution saying they will never use this symbol again because of what 
that yeah. what had turned into so like you know they were willing to change to basically say yeah we're, we're no longer associating with that even though it is part of our traditional values we are moving beyond that way to ruin a good symbol guys <laughs> fucking douchebags why, why couldn't you pick the fleur de lis uh, <laughs> that would be French <laughs> well French and Germans don't like each other no way <laughs> I say we take it back then yeah we probably really? could just well we already had the red shirts on yeah yeah, well, as long as we have it the other way and just be like, no, this means peace. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, I thought yeah. the Goths were already ahead of peace, peace among worlds. Skulls. There we go. The black and skulls does look pretty cool. The <laughs> military boots. <laughs> Don't get me wrong. Yeah. You know, our our high school was kind of like emo. You know, the starting point of emo yeah. before it evolved further. <laughs> were you emo? I was not emo. <laughs> no, but I hung out with. Uh, yeah. The black hoodies. So it wasn't full email. Uh, we were just all wearing black hoodies, usually uh, like bands or something along those lines. So. Gotcha. Were those just the natives, though? <laughs> well, that's what I was thinking. Yeah. 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 I, I, I wasn't allowed in. <laughs> CC, I, I was, uh, I was yeah. too educated on the American side, so everybody on the Canadian side already had their clicks. <laughs> I hung out with the natives from Cornwall. <laughs> gotcha. We band together. Gotcha. I bet you were the darkest one in that gang. Don't worry. <laughs> no, there was another that was darker. Yeah. yeah. I was going to ask that because you are teaching like a native studies course. Yes. Do you get the token white kid in your class? A token white kid? Yeah. <laughs> there's always one in native studies. There's always like a token white kid. Maybe two. I usually get the non-native that is like on point with asking questions which makes uh. all the other native students feel awkward and uncomfortable which is <laughs> yes and no funny because of you know that one's asking the right questions yeah. why are you not right yeah <laughs> gonna take their name away give it to him <laughs> dustin's gonna now be Dustin. called <laughs> now be noticed <laughs> but honestly after the last two and a half years of <clears throat> yeah two and a half years of teaching um, it wasn't until my last class that I actually had indigenous students present in there. So I was normally always teaching to a non-indigenous mm-hmm. classroom. And one time I had a German student, so there goes all my World War II jokes. <laughs> and I had to start refresh. But the, the, that's the thing with education is you will never know who's going to be in your classroom. So you have to be very aware of what you are venturing into because they're all going to be coming from different perspectives. Whether it is kind of, you know, trying to make fun of certain things in history, which, you know, history, let's face it, is people's stories. And I mm-hmm. love the when people do stupid things and get to talk about it afterwards because everyone assumes like, ah, they didn't know what they were doing. I was like, you're in school. Do you know what you're doing? <laughs> yes. Please don't throw the football in the dorm, knocking the fire uh, sprinkler off and causing the whole floor to flood <laughs> because, you know. Outdoor sports. <laughs> mm. <laughs> yeah, you're doing all the drugs. Don't, you shouldn't have an opinion yet. <laughs> so you got into the, uh, you teach the native studies stuff, and you've done some activism, and uh, I see the long house at like all the meetings. So what brought you into that side of things? <clears throat> Two years of Catholic school. <laughs> Fastest a- way to convert anybody <laughs> to the long house. Two years of Catholic school. <laughs> Middle school was in Cornwall at a Catholic school that made me go, okay, I want to go to Longhouse. I want to go there. I want to know what they're doing and what they're talking about and having those conversations. So I think that's what like really 
drew me there and then having that whole conversation around hey i'm learning this history in school i'm not learning anything about our history mm. where's that and so like i you know start seeking out individuals and having conversations and it's been a learning experience since middle school like having those real conversations with some of our community elders and when i say elders i don't just mean old people like some mm -hmm. people in this community are very knowledgeable in certain areas and i think that's where we need to be more asset aware of like mm -hmm. people have their expertise in different areas you go to them you learn and you understand and you acknowledge that and so going through that and definitely like high school pretty much started saying hey i should be reading these books about our history because i'm not learning this from school so i guess that's what kickstarted my own reading yeah hyperdrive of reading all our books <laughs> went through all the fadden books went through everything <laughs> else through the community and basically everything i could get a hold of and what i kept on running into was there wasn't a lot written about us mm. that was easily accessible yeah. so having to go through that learning about the wampum belts and basically saying okay, okay this is our version of history here's the things that it, it remembers talking to the faddens and I, I got to know them and actually had conversations with them and basically uh learning about the wampum belts talking with uh other uh people in the community daryl thompson richard mitchell and so like the ones who are our actual wampum keepers those who are in positions of uh of the tradition and so like really tapping on them and saying, hey, what's this? How is this going about? And so I think that kick-started it for me in high school and being involved with going to the longhouse because I was not raised that way. Mm -hmm. I had to actively seek it. And the fun part of that was when I got to change my name. <laughs> I, I had to have that conversation with my Duda and say, hey, Duda, why did you name me and not the clan mother? She's like, oh, well... I didn't know how that went so mm -hmm. of course acknowledging of you know people are learning and so i had a conversation with her i was like you know i'm gonna have to go through the process go to the turtle clan mother have a mohawk name put through through the longhouse and she was okay with that and i was mm -hmm. like okay so i gave you Dio as growing up and anybody who's known me since i was 12 or under know me as dio because mm. that was yeah. the name i taught myself ah. will knows this yep and so yeah, that's a, that's a taken name yeah by like a hundred people exactly <laughs> but it was mine it was special for me in my class was i not the only deal back in school Will? <laughs> i'm just now learning that your your dodo was a uh, turtle yeah so that's uh that's interesting okay yeah we're not going to go there. But no, we're, we're not. not. Gonna keep <laughs> oh, my. Someone just learned. Shut the fuck up. No. <laughs> so there was, so I went to the clan mother. I mm. uh, went to Delia, and I asked Delia, I need to have a name put through in the longhouse. And this was in high school. And I was like, I, it, it needs to end in Dio because everybody knows me. But I need to keep one aspect of it. She's and like, I'm good. She's like, fine. So she goes through the book, and she's like, thinking... <clears throat> Deal. I was like, mm. okay, what does that mean? Makes a good earth, makes a good garden. I was like, okay, cool. She goes. And oh, so you're fertile. So she goes through the system. <laughs> All of a sudden, two people had that name registered with Mohawk Nation. <laughs> oh, was she upset about that? She's like, fine, we're going to make it formal for you. Lohet deal. He makes good earth. There you I go. Basically modernized it. Gardener. <laughs> there you go. So, 
uh, had that name put forward in the longhouse publicly announced so by our process it was a formal name change yes and here's the public record saying who i am from this point forward until i want to change it again yes it's in the spreadsheet yeah exactly (laughs) the sacred excel file yeah exactly (laughs) a special folder that opens up and has your photo in it and a name written on the top how old were you when that happened uh i want to say like 16 ah that's fun to get marched out there when you're uh cognizant of reality right this is weird (laughs) (laughs) yeah so they acknowledge me my mother my sister because we weren't we were never named through the longhouse and Mm -hmm. so we got through and so then that point forward i was like you know i'm in the system now Mm -hmm. Uh, and so that's why like you know anyone else i will say you know it's okay names are you know traditionally our names are fluid like you change from who you were as a baby to who you start growing up into and who people acknowledge you as like there's titleship and ownership with that that happens throughout so it's not necessarily why should you always hide behind one Mm. that's kind of boring if you ask me i'm happy having multiple names our traditions are so fun i know it's so much more fun gotta love those aliases (laughs) and so that that was kind of like okay I'm in, I followed the process, I learned about our traditions, and so I started showing up for different meetings, the nation level. I remember my Duda telling me a long time ago, like, yeah, you know, the, there's 50 chiefs who meet all the time in Onondaga. <laughs> I'm like, okay, cool. Look behind the curtain. It's only a handful of chiefs that occasionally meet in Onondaga. Gas is expensive, man. <laughs> but apparently, even to the point where some of those, uh, some of the title holders fall asleep in yeah. proceedings which is absolutely hilarious when they need to be caught before they fall on the ground right and then also more fun when it's at uh, during the lunch hour because <laughs> then they're like all right we get done business now do we all agree okay cool and then we all go for lunch and in the cookhouse in onondaga i was there and one of the elders one of the title holders was saying bragging his daughter is half cayuga uh, half seneca and he's very proud of his daughter saying that I turn to him and I say, what clan is uh, your daughter's uh, mother or what nation? He's like, Seneca. Huh. So what does that make your daughter? Seneca. <laughs> Everyone else burst out laughing because here I'm just this young little teenager, 19-year-old, telling a title holder <laughs> what the proper protocol is for his daughter. Ah. So then I was basically welcomed with open arms in the uh, in Onondaga Grand Council and they were like, all right, cool. You get to sit with the Mohawks and hmm. just kind of, you know, listen and learn and listened and learned. And anybody else who I brought there were like, you listened. That was boring. How do you do it? I was like, I don't fully understand, but I can kind of get the context of what they're saying, what they're understanding. And at the lunch hour is where you actually learn the details. Like uh-huh. you, there's more business done offline uh-huh. during lunch than there is online in the council. And I think that's like so indicative of how decisions get made yeah is when people are not focused on having to make that decision mm-hmm. when they're they have a chance to kind of like talk and have those informal more shit gets done then than anywhere else well it's so. all about what's happening at the golf course not at not at the actual meeting right yeah so being involved with that just was fun with onondaga and then when i graduated came back home and definitely started going back more to the nation meetings and going to ceremonies and uh, just showing up. And 
every now and then I get a phone call saying, hey, something's going on. Do you want to be involved with this? I'm like, okay, cool. So like, it's a learning experience. It's like you can be as active as you want to be as long as you're willing to show that commitment. So I saw that as not just learning formally at Syracuse, but actually learning from Onondaga as well. Like saying, hey, this is how the system works here, and this is what I should be aware of. And so I, I can learn that, learn about our how, how our things are still active and how things several things are not active, and then come home and start having those conversations. And it was hilarious when somebody then asked me, hey, you know about our history, can you teach it? <laughs> I was like, huh, all right, let me make a PowerPoint. 177 slides later, <laughs> I had the brief history of Akwazasne. Nice. And so that was back in 2013, I was asked that question. And so for 10 years, I've just refined it, refined it, refined it. And I think, you know, that was what activated me, like his, history really like was always there in the background but when i was asked that particular question and that particular ask got me into that mindset of like this is what i want to do this is where i find my place and so just going from there saying like hey okay this is what i know and having conversations when i say here's what i know a through z i'm missing a few letters and then later there's a conversation of like hey i know what you're missing and they tell me and so i go back i learn more materials i incorporate it in so 10 years of learning through that process and refining it. And so I think that's where, like, personally, my, my role is, like, being able to provide a bit of our history that is understandable, that's relatable, that people can feel good about. And I had other people say, like, that's the most uh, diplomatic way of saying what happened. I was like, thanks. Because <laughs> my goal isn't about bashing anyone's side i'm all about hey your side a b and c here's interpretations of it from different angles this is what happened during this time and so people understand that we're human regardless of what happened in our past and so i think that's where my my growth past graduation was all about okay how do we refine those aspects of our history because it has it has to be borrowed both from Canadian sources, American sources, Haudenosaunee sources. It's the only way we're going to fully learn the big picture. And so I think that's where people notice that in me, and that's why I keep getting asked, like, hey, you know about this. Can you explain it? And I'm like, okay, cool. This is what I know. And throw it on the wall and have conversations. And I think that's where, like, that's where my passion got activated. And lo and behold, I was asked in January 2020, classes start in a week. Do you think you could <laughs> teach an Indigenous history course? <laughs> Okay. <laughs> <laughs> now you can teach it to the world online. <laughs> yes. Mm -hmm. Wow. Johnny B. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's I, don't, I don't think I'd ever. I don't think I'd be able to teach anything to just a group of students, a group of kids younger than me. I don't think I have it in me. I don't have the patience. Hmm. Yeah, yeah. I just blow my stack. I go off to fucking rose too easy. I'm like you know what? Get the fuck out of here, all these. Yeah, Get the fuck out of here. That is old school thinking, like, and that is back in the day when the professor <laughs> would say, "Look to your left, look to your right." Those two people will not be there when you graduate. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I got zero patience for other people. Yeah, teaching is not your thing. There's a time and place for that, yeah. and I believe drill sergeant school would be perfect for that. <laughs> yeah, I'm a terrible teacher as well. Mm -hmm. I am. 
Yeah. But can you cook? Yeah. I can. You can teach. Uh-huh. I see what he did see. there. Yeah. Because if you understand the steps on how to cook, uh-huh. all it is is having someone else next to you just watch you. You don't even have to teach them directly. You have them observe what you do and how your thought process is. I can be that dad that yells at my son while he's holding the flashlight. Yeah. Like, turn it, fucker! <laughs> Isn't that everybody? <laughs> Shut There's up. enough trauma in the world. <laughs> yeah. No, I, I try my best not to give my kids new trauma. Have you had so. a chance? Have you handed one a flashlight and said, the time is now? <laughs> no, I just make them pick up the dog shit. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Re- remember, the goal of parenting is to ensure your kid doesn't need as much therapy as a neighbor's kid. <laughs> there you go. And to torture the neighbor's kid. (laughs) (laughs) Better if it's the cousins. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) As long as I'm not raising a shooter or a stripper, I'm good. There you go. What's one of the most surprising things you find in doing your uh, research? School shooter? (laughs) I like the axe throwing. We we like our guns. And I will say, you know, everybody talks about the two row as like this peace and harmony period. I was like, no, we we became friends with the Dutch because they gave us guns to use against the French. So, hey, wouldn't you know, it's the first arms deal for the Haudenosaunee. (laughs) Turns out we really like killing. (laughs) Hey, buddy, you don't like the French. We don't like the French. Let's be friends. To be fair, the French started it. There you go. To be fair, it was. It was just a long-standing dispute over a certain water area that got named after a Frenchman. Yeah, right. If they showed up with a boatload of pussy instead, it would have been different. They were French. That was an option. (laughs) I think you lost them. Yeah. <laughs> is there a movie about it? No. <laughs> I wish there was. It, like Last of the Mohicans. Is the I heard closest. a boatload of pussy in my mind. Right away went to Bodé. Riviere. He says that now, Canadian and then there's that pause, tear rolling Canadian. down yeah. when it burned. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Such a sad fucking day. They probably didn't smell good in this century. <laughs> Speaking <laughs> of history, such a sad day in Aquazustin history. Yes. When that bar burnt down. Terrible. I just never, I've never actually went there. You? Dude, I just have like a rogue nose hair like fucking with me this whole time. <laughs> is that what all that noise is? Yeah. Is that hair? Like go pluck it or something. <laughs> It'll be all right. I'm going to sneeze. <laughs> Get it out. Yeah. I can't. Yeah. Pull, it, pull it for me. <laughs> I can't see it. He wants you to stick his fin- your finger in. That's, I that's was about to. He puts his finger in me all the time. Yeah. 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 Wherever I need it, yeah. I don't ask him for gas money every fucking Monday. (laughs) I gotta get it somewhere. (laughs) I'm just saying, you're going to the same place. (laughs) I'll start bringing you sandwiches again. (laughs) Yeah, after the great sandwich incident of 2021. He's like, listen, fucker. There's like three in that bag. Yeah. I'm like, there is. There is. Not once. Not once. Not one time has this piece of shit said, Johnny B, you hungry? Would you like a sandwich? <laughs> I know I'm a fucking scumbag, freeloading bum just sitting in your car every week. I don't offer you a dollar. I don't offer you, I don't offer to get you a soda or water at the store. I don't even offer you a bite of my sandwich. Just get me to where we need to go, Johnny B. <laughs> See, that's a very passionate telling of history this guy of right what here. had happened. Yeah. Conflict that mm-hmm. you were hoping to resolve mm-hmm. just now. So I think I don't think it's gonna get resolved though. I don't think we can ever resolve this. 
Yeah. Well, one can only yeah. hope. Yeah. I mean, I can probably, I can probably use one of those guns we talked about. <laughs> Musket that takes about five minutes to load and shoot. <laughs> Just saying. Nah. You are, you like guns? I fired guns. I'm not against did you guns. En- did you enjoy it when you were, you know, fucking? I do want to visit the Las Vegas ranges where oh, anything goes for yeah. those guns. Yeah. 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 Oh, yes. Yeah, I, know. I like those too. Guns are fun. I, I might have to follow yeah. follow Ozzy Osbourne and actually mm-hmm. get in a tank and start driving one. Yeah, mm-hmm. yes. I did like that show. That was funny. <laughs> yeah, I watched the Arnold documentary right where he talks about going green in California, and then the next scene he's riding around his property in a fucking tank. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he yes. made, he made Hummers commercial. Yeah. He, he yes. drove it in a mm. one of his films, and he was like, That's "I awesome. want one to own," and That's the awesome. army was like. I think we can make that happen. Mm-hmm. Voila. Hummers. <laughs> <laughs> well, he was a tank driver for the German army. Well, he it? sure was, yeah. 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 I did, he didn't actually fight. But he, you know. German or Austrian? Because he's Austrian. Yeah. One, one of those. I think it was a German. I think it was German. Yeah. Oops. Before he became Hercules in New York. Yes, exactly. Yeah, with a different voice. <laughs> yeah. Oh, with his true voice. Did you ever watch that one? Yes. Yeah? What did you think of it? I think they had two different audiences in mind. <laughs> I remember seeing it as like a teenager and they're like, what the fuck is this? And I remember watching it and watching the whole thing and like Arnold's this whole superstar in my head. So what's this movie I never heard of? Because this was the, you know, the 90s. So yeah. oh, 80s, it was his first one. Well, I watched it in the 90s. Oh, okay. I was like, I saw it on like cable or something and I'm watching it and I was like, this is so weird. You know, I really credit my wife for getting me into Conan, but when I was a kid, the first person to show me Conan was Philip over here. So, But he was showing me the Destroyer, not the Barbarian. Yeah. I prefer the Barbarian better. Mm. You know, Crush your enemies, see them driven before you, and then hear the lamentation of the women. Yeah, we got in trouble for that whole speech. Mm. <laughs> not yeah. this one. We got in trouble for the Dothraki. Oh, yeah, yeah. it was a little more intense. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I think, uh, yeah, people will be all right with this one. Yeah, I have not seen Conan. Thank you for pronouncing that correctly. Conan? Thank you. Conan. Yeah. Why? What's, what's another like way O'Brien? people pronounce it? No. He's Conan. 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 Yeah. No, because that's where they fucked up with the Momoa one. Okay. Is they were pronouncing it Conan. Gotcha. And it's like, shut up. Shut up. You're already fucked up. <laughs> you know? How dare you tell about this fictional history of Earth in a wrong way? Like, exactly. played Conan? Yeah. Yeah. Huh. And the editing in that movie apparently is so terrible that it's barely a fucking movie. Like, oh. there's no plot. That's what happens when you have Hollywood throwing a bunch of money into a garbage fire and just saying, <laughs> make me money and yeah. no. It it's funny, work. right? It they just work, like, huh? you think they would get it at some point. Like, if you just have a good director with a vision and decent you know writers that have made this stuff before it should work no that's egos kevin smith talked about this when he was supposed to do spider-man mm-hmm. he talked about uh, superman oh, superman yeah superman uh where the producer wanted him to do a spider and turns the yeah. guy into a giant 80 foot tall spider oh that's right that's yeah right. john peters <laughs> yeah then they made wild wild west and right? then they made wild yeah, west that is an incredible story yeah his yeah. story on the batman set or uh, uh, whatever Superman whatever DC, yeah. early yeah DC. Superman 
and also his story about Prince are probably his best fucking stories mm. from those films. Um, you know, those Q and A films. Kevin Smith yeah. was going to do a Superman movie mm-hmm. huh. with uh, Tim Burton. Yeah. Really? That's why in the Flash, when you see Nick Cage's Superman, he's fighting a giant spider. It's kind of like a you know throw. It's a little fan service for the nerds that know that. Right. I didn't watch the so Flash. Yeah, I didn't watch the Flash. I didn't either, but obviously the cameos people know about them now. Oh, it's just the. Oh, so you're looking yeah. at the YouTube. Yeah. yeah, just shit on TikTok. You know. Huh. Gotcha. Oh, yeah. I'm not gonna go see fucking Ezra Miller. Fuck that motherfucker. Yeah, yeah, I thought the same way. So yeah, and just the multiverses. Right, right. The just trying to yeah. say like, okay, all stories, <laughs> no matter what, are canon. Yeah. It just in another dimension. Yeah, like Marvel figured be- that one out. That's like the best way to write in. You're all right. Yeah. No one is wrong. <laughs> and nobody dies. And nobody needs to die. And there's no consequences. But if anything. you if you want somebody to die, you, we can find that universe for you. Yeah. And show you. And make you happy. <laughs> yeah. You think they would have, like, the multiverse stuff kind of breaks the movies. And it broke the comic books, which yeah. is why they don't do it that often. Yes. And I think that's why, like, historians are in, like, the same boat. Because it's, like, realistically, <clears throat> historians are here to try to tell a narrative. And people always like to say, well, this is how I think it should have went. And mm-hmm. this is how it, it could have went. And, like, everybody starts putting things in. And it's like, okay, honestly, we, we're not really sure. We just have this thing that's carved, and we call it a religious item. But we have no idea. It could be a piece of a comb for all we know. But, hey, it has an image on it. And so, like, that's, like, between archaeologists and <laughs> historians. We're all trying to make up a story. It's just an ancient sex toy. <laughs> They exist. Where is those, it? Those it's are probably very, religious or something. Ancient butt plug. No, actually, <laughs> that is real. Those are real I things. Oh, that's why. <laughs> the best is the Peruvian uh, drinking uh, uh, pitchers. They're all different sex positions. There you go. But they don't like to show them in museums because people freak out about those in a museum. Because Puritans suck yeah. and made everything boring. Huh. Yeah. It's, it's, it's what happens when they, they the uh, Puritans moved over to. Amsterdam and it was just too liberal for them and they had to go somewhere else. <laughs> so what's one of the most surprising things you found out about our history that like took- our history is it's the same exact personalities arguing about different events. <laughs> it's as if you know I'm reading some things about our some individuals and I'm like, oh shit. That sounds exactly like so and so. And I'm like, show somebody else, like that's what they said and this is what they did. Oh yeah, that does sound like so and so. See, right? They, people <laughs> act the same way. It's a, it's, yeah. it's it's hilarious because it's like, okay, well, what would happen if you dropped us all back in 1700s when you had to decide between joining the French or the English? And once you know it, a bunch of young guys were like, hey, whoever pays me the most, I'll fight for you. <laughs> all right. So, which historical figure? Where did you find yourself in the past? Oh, I will never divulge that. Oh my gosh! Come so, on. So it happened. <laughs> I think I'd be busy humping. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you, Johnny B? I'm probably not even alive. I'm probably tripped. <laughs> I probably tripped over a rock and hit my head or something. Like, my life expectancy was like fucking 12 years old. Like accidental fucking death. Yeah. You get taken out by that one sliver. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's just fucking like flesh-eating disease and just fucking... My finger hurts two yeah. weeks later. Yeah. Right. Or maybe I was the first victim to diabetes or some shit like that. Yeah. Oh, this no. disease that hit the Indians. <laughs> yep. That would be a smallpox wave eight. That's me. Yeah, right? <laughs> that, that's oh, me. another pandemic. Yeah. Jeez, the Indians are really taking this one seriously. Yeah, so I didn't, I didn't, I wasn't able to live through all that, all the good stuff. I was gone early. <laughs> my, my, my favorite during the 
during COVID was to remind everybody about the uh, mass graves that we do have in the community. Yeah. <laughs> that were from previous pandemics. <laughs> yeah. So we're like, hey. We got some immunity from something. So you've seen you've seen the pictures in the library where they used to take a picture with the like the body, the grave, the, the mm. coffin had the window in it. Those are unnerving. <laughs> what? Yeah, they used yeah. to put windows in coffins and take a picture with it because it was all new. And mm-hmm. you know nowadays we do a selfie, but so you got... <laughs> if something happens to me in the next week or two, can you guys do that for me? Absolutely. Put a window on my coffin. Well, man, I'll fucking mummify yeah. you. Like put a window on my coffin and just put me up in like the corner somewhere. That or taxidermy. Yeah. I mean, I'm not getting stuffed now. You're not gonna stuff me when I'm dead. <laughs> Fuck that. We are both gonna stuff you're you. You're dead. <laughs> you're dead. You're for you have no uh, more say. Right, you guys are out of the will. <laughs> the studio is going to Jameson. <laughs> <laughs> we double ended. <laughs> Yeah, he can get his third. Right, there you go, Jameson. Keep your, keep your fucking toys over yeah. there. Yeah. <laughs> All right, so which historical figure am I? <laughs> which one am I? <laughs> oh, we have a lot of people in our past that actually would like talk about things. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so you're saying he'd be a gossip back then too? <laughs> I, I said they talked. You how you want to interpret, <laughs> whether it was useful or not. Yeah, it got conversations going though. Right, Red Jacket comes to mind. Mm. I hate cows too. Uh, <laughs> see, my favorite, one of my favorite characters is actually Mrs. Solomon Mitchell in 1899. Mm-hmm. If anybody knows the importance for that date, I know the importance of that date. Yeah, that's when the bank council came and Jake fired all that happened. Uh, yeah. Mm. So before they got arrested, there was the poor little Indian agent at the time, new kid on the block, was basically like, hey, you go make elections happen in the community. Because we already were doing elections. That's the thing. People got to remember between 1890, uh, 1867, where the Indian Act came into effect, we were grandfathered in. Mm-hmm. It basically said if there's an existing council, you recognize them mm-hmm. until there needs to be a new member. Then you just vote person in. So actually, we did a few votes beforehand, mm. be- before 1899. People got upset because they felt like, well, how dare you vote this person in? I'm not going to give up my position. And so all of a sudden, they started saying, we're against voting. And so it, it turns into this really back and forth. Of, it's like, who's in charge? Who's in charge? Who's in charge? No way. And <laughs> yeah, I know, right? It sounds <laughs> sounds so new the community (laughs) divided as to who's in charge never would have happened but in 1899 we have uh the indian agent trying to do a vote in the village and you have community members that are upset about having a a quote-unquote vote happen Uh and so they go in they threaten the indian agent they throw him in the voting box in the school in saint regis they lock him in they (laughs) rough up the two dominion police officers and they go running back to cornwall and the crowd's all there happy that they used violence to solve the problem and then you have this 89 year old woman Uh with a cane walk up to them at the front of the school and scold them (laughs) she supports the old way Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm but does not condone violence. Mm. And this is going to have consequences. Mm-hmm. And shortly thereafter, the Indian agent called in the cavalry and basically wanted to arrest what he saw as troublemakers mm-hmm. and then led to the unfortunate incident with the loss of uh, Jake, uh, Jake Ice. Mm-hmm. So it's prophetic, but at the same time, 
she understood that this isn't just a black and white story. Yeah. There's multiple things that were happening and basically scolded them. Like, this is not the way we should be doing things. And then the best part, <laughs> which I absolutely find hilarious, is the, the three New York State trustees uh-huh. showed up in the village and were like, yeah, we're against voting too. <laughs> and the crowd turned to them and basically said, get back to your side of the line. Yeah. <laughs> and they went back. They scurried. <laughs> and That's... so, huh, it's almost as if the same questions were asked in Akwazasi yeah. today, if that would not happen pretty much the same way. You have yep. people there gathered for violence, yep. realizing, oh shit, there might be consequences, and unfortunately there was. Yep. So I think that's, we need to remember that. It's like, you know, things are not black and white in mm-hmm. our past. Everybody was doing what they could at that moment with as much information as they had to make a decision that they felt was in the best for them and their family. And hindsight's twenty twenty. We can look back and say, oh, well, they made a mistake there. Mm-hmm. Well, what what do you think? Farmers and fishermen. Mm-hmm. That's basically what they were trying to do to survive. And I think that's where we, we, we miss that when we talk about the past. We mm-hmm. always glorify it as saying, they knew what they were doing. And we're, I'm like, no. Yeah, yeah. We were all just figuring it out as we go. And I think that's like if we're for historians is basically reminding people, like, yeah. We're better at predicting what's going to happen because we already know the stories of what has happened. Mm-hmm. And so we can basically say, you know, Spanish flu lasted about two and a half years before they got that under control. Oh, wouldn't you know it? COVID. <laughs> How long did that be- go from an emergency to no longer a state of emergency? Mm-hmm. So I think that's where, you know, you can have the best ideas or ideals of like how people react. Historians are the ones who basically look at the record and say, this is how everyone has reacted in the past for these things and Mm -hmm. i think that's like in the discourse of history is trying to ensure we don't forget those Mm -hmm. but also understanding that we're all human we're gonna make mistakes we can't just glorify a past when the past itself wasn't as glorious as you think it is and i'll say anything before 1900s is gonna stink regardless Mm -hmm. you know without uh, without modern uh, sanitation, everything stunk. Yeah. So people always forget that. For their I mean, past we're history. all just covered in muscles and. No, actually, my my favorite interpretation there is you know how they always say that the Mohawks were these big, huge Arnold-esque specimens, I mean, and that's what like, all the paintings gonna walk look like. I, I I'm just gonna <laughs> say I'm like you know our our men back then were probably huge arms. Mm-hmm skinny little legs because you're canoeing all day mm. you're not running the field so we look like amish <laughs> basically <laughs> like yeah you can carry a whole canoe on our back no problem but yeah skinny little legs because we're used to just moving that way and like all our all our uh, songs and everything that people sing <clears throat> they're like they're like oh it's like marching i was like is it marching or paddling mm-hmm. like you 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 see this in some of our older ceremonies it's like a lot of references to paddling not mm-hmm. walking it's all about because everything for us was transportation was canoes mm-hmm. we loved it when the beavers dammed up the waterways because you didn't have to walk it you just you rode your canoe through it mm-hmm. so it used to take no more than five days to go from mohawk valley up the mountains to akwazasne down the racket river so it was not difficult to travel and i think that's where we, we kind of lose that sense of like distance and location and realistically if you really look at it with all the canoeing and everything that happened with our waterways like we had full access to things like we 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 did do some sorts of vacations Mm -hmm. 
not as much because you know we're going with a growing cycle but you know there's times where you don't need to do too much until the growing season is a little bit moved along so hey go up north cool down yeah right down south get hot. <laughs> we'll jump in the lakes to the adirondacks let's go visit gunawake let's go <laughs> go get some of that abenaki <laughs> gunawake down in mohawk river or gunawake up north yeah <laughs> that's where it originally was yeah really yeah, we stopped there not too long. Shit, ago. both. <laughs> <laughs> and hey, everything around here that you know, we we call it Saint Regis Island, Saint Regis Village, or Saint mm-hmm. Regis uh, River. The original name was Aquasasne. For all three. Mm-hmm. So that's one thing I always I like to ask the Dudas. Hutsque, what's the name for the Saint Regis River in the language? Hmm, they don't know mm-hmm. because to them it's always been Saint Regis. And when I show them some of the old maps and basically his uh, phonetic spelling of Akwazasne, uh-huh. like, huh, would never have thought that. Hmm. And so just like for history, like that's one, one sliver that has survived Yeah, and where we can actually have that discussion. And for other things like, you know, just because it's named where the, uh, where the boards get split, which is mm-hmm. for Hogan, mm-hmm. that's because of the original French mill that was put up there in 1755. Mm-hmm. So it was like, we're remembering that. But that's not necessarily the traditional name because, you know, before the mill, what was it called? We don't mm-hmm. know. Hmm. So things change. Yeah. Well, even Fort used to be called French Mills mm-hmm. back before. It was Fort Covington. Mm. Well, this would have been uh, um, St. Regis. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. And then Fort Covington, French Mills. Mm-hmm. And same thing with Messina because it was, that was another French logging camp. Oh, really? Named after a lieutenant in Napoleon's army. Andre Messina. Oh, that's who it's named after. Yeah. So that that again, it's an homage to the French heritage for them. So like mm. they've done that. And I think that's where that has happened. And it's like learning from our neighbors too, because you know, our community, even though we see ourselves as like kind of like trying to get together and kind of like seeing ourselves as one community, that did not exist from the war of 1812 to what i would say about 1998 mm-hmm. we viewed ourselves as two communities you stayed on the north side or you stayed on the south side and you did not <clears throat> go back and forth because during the war of 1812 american revolution we were neutral everybody came here refugees they're non-native we said go to the north shore and basically that made new johnstown aka cornwall and then if you were Oklahoma, you stayed in the community and so that's how we got a bunch of other clans, not just Mohawk traditional clans here. We we, mm. we welcomed them as refugees. And then mm. War of 1812, the same issues flared up again, and the community was divided. Half wanted to support the Canadians or the British Empire. A quarter wanted to be neutral, and a quarter wanted to support the American cause. So all of a sudden, you have veterans who didn't want to get back together. They said... Why should I give my benefits to you if you were against me? Mm. And so after the War of 1812 was when the community said, you stay on your side or you stay on this side. If you were loyal to the British, you got pushed to the islands. So anybody who has the old homesteads or families that are from the northern portion, that's the side that your family supported. Mm. Those who were neutral or pro-American stayed on the southern portion. And so all of a sudden from there, you have two communities, one in St. Regis, one that eventually formed into Hogan. And they were so split that during the 1800s, when we actually had bad cholera outbreaks, people died in Ganadago. No one died in Hogan because no one visited. Hmm. So we were that split, yeah. that, that separate. 
and that did not change until closer to 1990 mm-hmm. and then 98 with the ice storm because it made both sides say oh we are in a mass emergency we need to set aside our differences and work together yeah you assholes <laughs> wow that's actually no kind of that's actually kind of sad and then 98 yeah. once we got through the ice storm people said okay y2k is two years down the road we need to be prepared for it and so the community was starting to basically make those bridges in connection metaphorically yeah about how can we be prepared for a global catastrophe and not just a regional one mm-hmm. luckily nothing happened for y2k and the community started saying hey now we can actually start saying aquazasne mm-hmm. as a whole rather than just saying you and saint or you and hogan Mm-hmm. That's why when I'm tribal chief, we're going to annex the Canadian side and just make it all U.S. side. Oh, again, you're choosing a side, though. No, no, no. It's just, it's just funny. <laughs> Shh. Don't do it. It's part of the plan. Well, I oh. hope Andre Messina is uh, proud of what happened to his fucking town. Looks like I'm going to have yeah. to run for chief on a Canadian side. Well, yes. fight it fucking out, crackhead <laughs> mayor. <laughs> going to fight it out, Sergeant. You're going to... There you go. <laughs> I'll be the voice of the pay-per-view event. There you go. Yeah. It's going to be daily bombings and hooking we'll <laughs> We're going to arrest all your white cops. We're fucking terrorists so in the fucking <laughs> southern portion of what was us. Our black I cops. When I get grand chief Beat position. up your white cops. <laughs> Whoa. We're just going to show Hoogensburg. <laughs> We're going to poison the St. Ridges River. <laughs> Aquas, that's never <laughs> Both of them. But Cedarview. Cedarview is neutral ground. Yeah. Oh, we don't yeah. fuck with Cedarview. We can all go for Cedarview. Holes one through nine on this side, and then 10 to 18 the, the other back, side. The back nine's for fucking the southern portion. Yeah. So what would you say the state of like traditional activism is? It seems To me, it seems like a lull, but I don't know. Uh, it's generational. So because you're only getting leadership that are put in generationally you're always going to have a massive lag between what the community needs are at the moment to what's long term so like ideally the nation actually in the best position for long-term planning and just let the other two councils deal with the current issues mm-hmm. but and i think that's where in aquasasana we're functional because we have three that are gearing towards helping the community in other communities you either have one or two that are fighting like cats and dogs here they're at least cordial generally of the time but unfortunately we're hitting to the new york state land claim so that Mm. may throw a wrench into the whole system because all three went to court separately and the judge said wait 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 you're all arguing the same thing you all joined together and then all of a sudden the judge said you work together Mm. and that's what put everybody in the awkward position of like now we have to talk and we have to work together. Otherwise, if one says no, it's a no-go. Mm-hmm. So with the latest offer, we will see how the community is going to respond. Because mm-hmm. all three have to go through their process to say whether or not the community accepts or declines it. And that's where the New York State claim. There's other land claims. And that's a whole other uh, can of worms we can get into. Because, yes, I was the manager for a period at the Aboriginal <laughs> Rights Research Office, which was involved with the education of yeah. the land claim Jigalistes What's your take? If you don't mind saying. Um, if it's a little crotchety, don't worry about it. The issue is it needs to be for the community <clears throat> and not be political. And I think that's where people are losing that mentality mm-hmm. of 
what was the original idea in all the land claims were about top priority getting land back under our jurisdiction and control mm-hmm. part two was getting reparations for whatever damages have been incurred from everything of that loss and use of lands so then the question is what are we using the proceeds for and ideally there should be a set idea as to like what is it trying to heal the community from and if you lost lands and you lost culture and language according to those lands then the priority should be getting those lands back mm-hmm. and language and culture and not just viewed as a piggy bank for whatever we might need today well that's you know that's you could piss away a hundred million dollars really easily we can put a billion dollars into our health system and we would still need a billion in one yeah that's just it, it's a black hole for money yeah but it is a community priority right but we- i would say the governments are responsible for a portion of that and mm-hmm. they do give money for that so therefore is that the immediate need or should it be go towards the needs that are not funded that us and canada don't see as things that they're willing to fund but we need resources for mm. that's why i'm a big proponent for lands back is the priority number one. Second one is language and culture mm-hmm. and shameless plug history too what about splash pads for other First Nations that are not having full access to just drinking water, and we're asking for a luxury item, who looks like the asshole? Not me. I wasn't for it. <laughs> it's kind of fucked up, right? Especially if we live right next to the river and you could just you know fix the public area that we already all use. Not just one, but three. Yeah, yeah. All three have a public kind of area that we could just fix up and make nice. Like we, Canadian government, early 80s, built a lacrosse box in all three of the northern districts because we said we need mm-hmm. we need recreational facilities. Only two were somewhat taken care of, and a third one was trashed. Mm. And then all of a sudden, 25 years later, people are arguing, we need a lacrosse box. You had one. <laughs> Who trashed theirs? <laughs> Yeah, come on. I want to yeah. know. Who has the newest name drop? Box? One of the districts. <laughs> Hogan? <laughs> <laughs> well, there's that nice one in the village. Well, it's been updated. Oh, yeah. 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 So that's the thing is like, we do, do we need one or do we want three? Mm. And again, the question of needs versus wants. Yes. Same thing in education. Do you need to learn something or do you want to learn something? Mm-hmm. And that's where I, I feel like there's a lot of that works into unfortunately the community is this entitlement thinking mm-hmm. of like well i'm owed this mm-hmm. are you though yeah because i can tell you my great grandparents had a hard life but they had a happy life as much as i'm aware of and that's where like you know are you content with what is or are you always going to be saying that there needs to be more and I think within our history, like we need to really look that up and say, like, hey, we did damn well for all the shit that has happened to us in the past. Mm-hmm. And now we're complaining about real world example. <laughs> I don't like water. Can somebody go and get me orange juice? <laughs> yeah. From the store. Right. The water was free. Yeah. With a whole bunch of other items. <laughs> But that was the mentality that we got. Like yeah, that's yeah. a response. Do you think that comes from like um, 
from like not handouts, but from like this top down mentality rather yeah. than a DIY mentality. Yeah, a lot of the top down reality reality of you know, well, someone else owes me this, and this is who I'm gonna yell at if I don't get this. And if anybody's been to any government meeting, whether it be the nation, the tribe, or MCA. <laughs> What does it sound like? <laughs> it's not talking about needs. It's talking about wants. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, there's a lot of people betting that their fucking rent isn't getting paid anymore because <laughs> the pandemic's over. So, you know. Yeah, you motherfuckers. You don't deserve anything. Mm. You don't even deserve to live. You're lucky to live. Wow. You should just enjoy it. Well, I'm just trying to back up uh, Philip here on the no, entitlement thing. No, I'm with you. But yeah, do your job. a good thing you only got 15 volts, you piece of shit. Hey, you're the one that would evict every Indian. I was only going to evict some of them. Just, just, just the northern part? Yeah, I can't really just talk shit yet because I, I plan. Don't give me no fucking power. I will evict all you Indians. Yeah. Well, keep, okay, yeah. keep the important ones like Philip here. Of course, of course, of course. Yeah. Yeah, Everybody cool. in this room. Oh, except, I, except for you. Oh. He still owe me like two years worth of gas money. And sandwiches. And, and sandwiches. Fucking and bologna sandwiches. I'd like to point out that not once has this man ever asked for gas money. <laughs> but like, like, should you, do you need to ask for gas money? Yeah. Um, when you're constantly just giving people rides? <laughs> the same, not just people, just the same person? Yeah. I, I think as long as you put up a sign, you don't have to ask. Yeah, ask grass or cash. Okay. <laughs> should get one of those. Okay. Yeah, I think you're all right. So I owe him a lot of ass. Then, huh? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Funny, I skipped right over grass. We'll take it. I have no grass. <laughs> I don't know where you would get any. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so how are you feeling about uh, cannabis? Cannabis, people can use it. Yeah. I just don't like it when people try to force it and try to say, like, it's our traditional way. And I was like, is it? Is it? I love that argument. My my second favorite is uh, it's medicine, not the way you're using it, bud. Yeah. yeah. So I think like there there, there is actually a book, Iroquois Botany book, which was done by a PhD student asking mm-hmm. a bunch of elders across the entire Haudenosaunee mm-hmm. communities, what do you use different medicinal plants for? And marijuana is mentioned in there, cannabis, mm-hmm. and it said you give this to a person who's a hypochondriac. <laughs> And it makes I'm not going to argue with the elders. <laughs> I, I know a lot of those old ladies did it on the down So you're saying it was for anxiety. <laughs> <laughs> That's the academic way of to shut people up. There you, go. you know what's funny, though, is that a lot of indigenous people back in the day were just getting fucked up straight up on tobacco. Oh, yeah. Like they had this device, big, like wishbone looking fucking thing. Goes right up your goddamn face. And they would just burn tobacco in there and get high on nicotine. Uh, but like, I just... Uh, nic- <laughs> nicotina rustica. <laughs> Those are is- fucking like ancient whippets. They're just... <laughs> oh! Man! Uh, <laughs> I, th- I think you should bring it back, Will. Yeah. <laughs> You're the one that likes to use uh-huh. tobacco amongst us. I, I like to use nicotine, not yes. tobacco. And you like to be special. I, I, think, I, I, think, th- I think this is your calling. I'm off tobacco. No, well, well, the history there is Nicotina Rustica, which is the tobacco <laughs> that was traditionally used yeah. and still is, yeah. is a very harsh, high levels of nicotine in it because yeah. that's what they were looking for. And like the alkalides in it, any culture that knew where alkalides are is what they used yeah. for medicinal issues. And 
you know, you're starting to work with the body chemistry. And so that's what you're using it for. And the issue is when you have it in traditional teachings, it's meant in a way to be used in a very particular context and setting Mm -hmm. and has a lot of um, little R ritual to it, which means that there's a process. And the entire process is to basically help the individual, not with that immediate need, but the long-term needs of whatever they're seeking <coughs> it out for. So I think that's why being aware of what alkalides are used by different groups and especially indigenous populations, because they knew where the local alkalides are in the natural world, where to use it and how to use it. They have the history, they have everything there. And that's where all our oral teachings are based on that aspect of like, this is why you treat it with respect because mm. it can go very wrong very easily if it's not. And the problem is we took a page from Western thinking, which is commercialize it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, unfortunately. Because if you look at the history of, there's one book, uh, Sacred and Profane, where they talk about tobacco and chocolate. They both got introduced mm. to the other side of the world at the exact same time and how the two different trajectories went for it. And basically, it came down to a lot of weird coincidences to how it evolved into today's version of alcohol, um, alcohol too, but uh, tobacco and chocolate and how it's used across the world today. <laughs> so what kind of other cold so drugs? So there was have- ATC before ATF. No, <laughs> <laughs> what other cold drugs did we have in the past that mm-hmm. you've come across in your studies? In the Western... In the West Hemisphere, which is North and South America, there's a lot of groups that actually had some form of alcohol. Mm-hmm. And it was very much used in a very sacred manner. I'm sure fermentation was figured out by people. <laughs> yes, yeah, fermentation was figured this out by people. This guy in his fucking jellyfish water. <laughs> That's yeah. from China, sir. <laughs> That's kombucha. Did you declare it? <laughs> it came from a spaceship. Mm-hmm. How much shit did our ancestors have to go through that was like, really did not give up on how to use tobacco like people were just probably just being so mean they were just like will you cut that shit out and finally he came to other people and was like no what you do is you light it on fire and then you and they're like that's what you've been fucking doing this whole time and they finally tried to like hey you're on to something let's go tell the village <laughs> my favorite story is in the carolinas region there is a form of pokeweed, which is highly toxic if ingested. Ah. But if you boil it three times, it actually is a very nutritious soup. <laughs> it's got to figure that out. Exactly. <laughs> how many people and how long, how desperate are you to be that you took a toxic plant and boiled it, not once, not twice, but three times to figure it out it's healthy for you after that? I feel I feel bad for the guy who figured out that two wasn't the number. It was like, shit, write it down. One more. Write it down. It's like, okay, don't boil it twice. Let's try it. Let's try one more time. Now that is determination. See, yeah, and, and that's what we forget about is like indigenous uh, teachings and traditions is all about learning about those stories and incorporating them and kind of transferring that knowledge might not always be written down. There are written forms in North and uh, Mesoamerica, but there's other ways of like oral history of like keeping aspects of it aware so that people know down the road. Like 
you can even look at all the fairy tales that we hear from Europe today. Mm-hmm. A lot of those are based off of stranger danger. Beware of X, Y, or Z because <laughs> these are going to kill you. Like that, that's yeah. what's embedded in them. But, you know, we just hear happy-go-lucky little story about two little orphans in the woods. Yeah. But those, those were there about translating that information. Yeah. We had the same idea with a lot of our stories. That's why I'm like, I, I love our traditional stories because there's aspects that they're like, yeah, this is actually talking about sex. Yeah. But your Duda will never tell you about that. <laughs> and do you really want to have that conversation with your Duda? But you got three, you got, your Duda had three baby daddies. She knows all about it. <laughs> oh, my Duda had more than that. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so having those conversations and trying to figure out what, uh, where the information is coming from, what's encoded, and then what aspects were lost. Because one of my favorite stories is like from 1720s. There's a Jesuit who's going through the different Haudenosaunee villages. And he says he spots men dressed in women's clothing. Multiple of them. Acting like women. He was just uh, confused and very upset. And when he talked to them, he was like, why are you doing that? They said, well, it's it's in our creation story. But if you ask any traditional person today about the Haudenosaunee creation story, they'll never mention anything Mm -hmm. about uh, um, trans identity Mm -hmm. because it was one thing that was lost from all everything that we absorbed on the outside about this is something you don't talk about. Well, you see that in marriage all the time as well. Yeah, and we we see a lot of those aspects of like, you know, new things that kind of get incorporated in and kind of like get massaged in and then all of a sudden we have an argument in English over the traditional (laughs) meaning of X, Y, or Z. And I'm like... (laughs) Yeah, we already lost that argument if we're arguing in English, just saying. <laughs> but there's a, there, that's, that's the issue the, the issue with history is you're dealing with what fragments are left and you're trying to piece together a coherent narrative. And without all those pieces, it's very hard for an individual. But our traditions always said we work as a group. Everybody contributes what little pieces they know. And when you have a gathering of a bunch of people coming together, you have a much clearer picture. There's still always going to be pieces missing. That's regardless. That's, that's just history. But I think that's where we need to be very much open that in the concept of history and concept of education, there's always room to know more. And there's no version of purity in the past. as pure, unadulterated, this is the way mm-hmm. type. And Oh, yeah. There's, there's early examples <clears throat> of warnings of incest mm-hmm. warnings of bdsm in the creation story but we don't talk about that we should sounds way that day at longhouse you, would be way more fun you piqued my interest <laughs> let's hear the bdsm well, thing i was going to i was going to go there i'm glad you went there because I, I i do remember that there was uh they found figures i think in cherokee country and they're like pornographic figures they're like smoking pipes and stuff and they're like you know doing all the things threesomes and Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I, I think our idea of mm-hmm. sexuality has been so like morphed by mm-hmm. very strong reinterpretations through outside influences, and I think that's like historians. We always deal with this. It's like, yes, we love oral history. We try our best to validate it with other points of information. From a historical point of view, we try to say nothing's really valid until you have at least three independent sources to try to, you know, say that's what happened. Sometimes that's not enough. And so, like, with historians, we uh, always take the position of this is what we know so far. 
based off of what information we have at this time. In the future, we would love to have more information, but we know that this is the best we can. And I think that's something that a lot of people forget about is people are using what they have at that time. And I know some people bash on like, well, we want to stay away from pan-Indian ideas. I was like, at that time, that was the only thing people had. We had to relearn what it meant for our identity to have X, Y, or Z. And that's a long-standing struggle because when you have a person coming up with a new idea or a new concept and re trying to revigor uh, it, people are first thing to say, no, that's not what done. That's not what happened. Like it, it has to be constantly reinforced, reinforced, reinforced until other people say, hey, I found this data and it kind of matches yours. I think this might be something. And I think that's what we, we lost is that we used to be very open-minded and we actually took a lot of solace in having debates in a meaningful way. We would have discussions as to what does this mean? Well, I think it's this one. Or it might be this one. So that's why in some of our traditional teachings, there's a lot of interpretations because people took the time to talk and nobody was taking the position of saying it was only this way. That's that's not our way of thinking. Our thinking is collective. And so so what? A person, when when they hear a story when they're eight, is going to hear a very different meaning from it when they're 20 or when they're 40 or when they're 80. So I think that's what we need to relearn re is like these stories were never meant to be just one and done deals. These stories were narratives were constantly trying to be reiterated, reiterated, because there's something that you might not have caught that is that speaker at that time is now putting in and cluing people in to think about. And I think that's... That's where in our form of education is having those meaningful discussions and not just a constant brag fest of I'm right, you're wrong. I'm going to get my best friends to back me up and this is the position I'm taking. And unfortunately, I've seen that in our community. I've mm. seen that firsthand. And that's why I was very much happy back in 2018 when we actually had a community um, history summit. We had our own community members talking about our own history not from the outside perspective but our own and you had several people who did not talk to each other for was it 28 years in the same room mm -hmm. <clears throat> people that would have had literal guns to each other but they actually were sitting together and they all let each other speak and i think that's what we lost is that we learn more in that position than we do from saying, I'm only going to talk to this group because they're the only ones who believe me. Or I'm only going to talk to this corner because I'm the only one that believes me. So I think <laughs> that's where... Like, I'll start I my own longhouse. Yeah, Fuck exactly. you people. <laughs> exactly. I'm, re I'm reminded of <clears throat> Bender Bending Rodriguez. My own casino with blackjack and hookers. <laughs> <laughs> so what's the sex story <clears throat> that you want to talk about with Duda? <laughs> well, there's the first part where mm. uh, Sky Woman was a young girl, and she had her brother, and their uncle passed. Mm. The story said that she had an unhealthy obsession with that body, and so like there, there's, ah. and then even her parents, and in, in the earlier earlier part of the story, talks about her parents were actually uh, related. They grew up in a longhouse. They were downfended to the point that they did not know what was right or wrong. So even that's a very strong early warning of saying an overprotective parent is not preparing their child. And that these two had an incestuous relationship. 
And I think that's one part of the story that a lot of people leave out. Mm. But it's important to know that that was a warning that you can be overprotective. You can be overprotective to the point that a child who's growing in adolescence does not know what is the right way to do things. And that is basically a strong, strong advocate for sex education. Mm. Don't be a Lannister. Yeah. These aren't very sexy stories, Philip. I told you it wasn't exactly. <laughs> Depends on what your cousin looks like. Mm. Mm. Careful. This is Aquazusna. This isn't some other communities. <laughs> we don't believe that cousins are for practice here, you nasty asses. Whoa. Wait, we don't? <laughs> Shit. <laughs> Damn it. <laughs> <laughs> all right uh, all right man i'm full how you doing Good. yeah we gotta have you back man yeah so going forward what do you want to say to the people i think realistically the goal has always been like having opportunities to talk and just have everybody like you don't have to agree with everybody but at least mm-hmm. having the first step of saying i'm willing to listen and then being an active listener and actually saying, this is how you're describing it. Am I right? And having that conversation of like, you know, you're, you're actually saying that you might not agree with the individual, but at least you're saying, I'm understanding you. And when I did community consultations, which were very much not going to be very helpful and like some people start trying to be antagonistic towards me, at the end, I was shocked when a certain community member came up to me and said, who's very well known for uh, their ideas and positions on things said, all right, I heard you. I don't agree with everything you said, but I appreciate what you said. Right there is validation of like, I'm doing something right because Mm. it was not confrontational. It was basically saying, here's the position, here are the options, here's the best to my ability, uh, the context, up to you to now make the further uh, move. And they basically I just ensured that they had a right to know and they knew to the best of my ability and I think that's one of the things in our community we need to really build on is having that discussion being willing to listen and having an opportunity to actually have critical discourse where to really be critical is being a coach you're telling a person yeah I see where your skills are I know how you can be better and this is what I recommend and taking that and actually building off of it. So I said, after the last 10 years, I've been teaching our own history and I've refined it and refined it and I've taken it to different audiences, uh, taking it to our own community members, taking it a lot to outside community members. And they're all very much like, huh, that is a lot more complicated than I realize. Uh, once you hit that level of complication, you know you, you're, you're in a good spot because you've displayed so many different perspectives and ideas of how things were that people can now see a picture whether that picture validates certain beliefs or values cool if it starts making them think about uh, different conflicts that might be viewed from a different perspective even better and I think that's like my my goal and my position is basically try to raise that awareness in the community up and that's why I like having these discussions and discourse because I can go on and on and mm-hmm. on about different aspects. But at least, like you know, here's the first step of having that journey. Awesome, man! Wonderful. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 
Well, thank you so much for coming on the show. This was uh, very enlightening and uh, educational. Uh, I definitely am walking around, uh, walking away with some uh, new knowledge here. That's mm-hmm. awesome. Yeah, man. You know, there's a lot of stuff I didn't know. Yeah. <laughs> I can see your brain cooking. It was cooking. <laughs> was there steam it. coming no, off no, my no, head here? I was here? like, seeing you think like, whoa, I want yeah. to know more about this shit. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, when you're hanging with kids all week and it's a lot of SpongeBob and YouTube, you know, yeah. It's nice to learn from an adult. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so. Gotta do a history podcast now. <laughs> I know, jeez. Uh, I'm definitely already thinking of ideas of who I want you to be with when we have you next time because I want to see these two minds interact. Mm-hmm. And then I just sit back and, hmm. <laughs> you guys ever yeah. put your dick in a popcorn bowl? <laughs> you know, just being that fucking idiot. So have you? Yeah. <laughs> we are the uh, Aboriginal Outlaws. I'm Sugar Bear. I'm Johnny B. <laughs> I'm Joshua. Our guest today was the wonderful Philip Wakery. There you go. Yeah. AKA Dio. Reformed Dio. <laughs> Third name Dio. There you go. And you can see Sugar Bear at Yuck Yucks on August 3rd? Yeah. August 3rd. August 3rd. August 3rd. If you're listening to this, if this has already gone past, then, well, uh, I, hope, I hope one of us won something. Actually, this will be the first episode that will be released a couple of days after we sat here. Yeah, yeah. We're uh, one behind. So. I like it this way. Let's keep doing it this way. Fuck you. <laughs> what? <laughs> That's a lot of work. My, my week is already stacked, dude. Sorry. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm just saying, you don't have to edit this one that much. No, I don't. Yeah, he I don't was, think uh, you have to edit this one at all, right? He was clean. Just yeah. a couple of things, just technical shit. Oh. <laughs> anyway, uh, you can uh, find us on YouTube. Please uh, like and subscribe. And uh, also look for us on Spotify. And also keep an eye out for our sister podcast, Women's Dance, and our brothers over there at Sage Against the Machine. All products of Aboriginal Law Studios. Thank you very much. Follow all of us on Instagram and on TikTok. Do you have anything you want to plug there, Philip? Like this PowerPoint? that you Go to Clarkson. <laughs> Go to Clarkson, yeah. Do you have anything that you had uploaded uh, that people can find? Maybe an article or a video or a... My name, you can Google me and pretty much find the few things that are floating around with me. Uh, but yes, I would definitely say, like, go to your local library and ask questions hey. and see where those are resources. And then look at the age of those resources and say, is there anything newer? Mm-hmm. Ah, maybe you should write a book. <laughs> That'll be my uh, history thesis. Nice. There you go. All righty, man. Okay, well, keep an uh, eye open for something written by this fella here. So. <laughs> All righty. Bon voyage. Bon voyage.